Okay, folks, we're in uh, Lesson 4 today in our study in the book of Daniel. We're still in that introductory part concerning uh, prophecy in general. We're going to wrap that up today with our discussion concerning the rapture and the second coming. We're going to look at six different views today concerning the rapture as we kind of end our discussion. And we're going to have some closing thoughts on prophecy in general that you're going to need to be aware of as we get ready to launch into the study of the book of Daniel. Next week, we're going to look, we're going to have a lesson where we're just going to introduce the book. We're going to look at some background issues as far as the book and what you need to know as we begin beyond that to look at what Daniel is saying in his book. So today we're going to talk about the rapture. And so let me just kind of real quickly, it's not in your notes, give you a definition of the rapture. The rapture is where Jesus Christ comes back for his church. Uh, he meets them in the air. He doesn't literally come back, but he, he meets them. He comes in the air, and the church goes. At that point, is translated as another theological term, is at that moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, we will go to be with him. We'll not die at that point, we will simply leave this world and go to be with Jesus Christ. That is the rapture. It's primarily found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the discussion of that, where Paul talks to the Thessalonians concerning the issue of not being worried about those who had already died in Christ. He talks about the rapture at that point. So we're going to talk today about these different views concerning the rapture and its ramifications for you and I. So we're going to look at several views. I'm going to tell you what is the view of our church. And the reality is, is we're going to see that today especially, it used to be said that you, most people had one view of the rapture, but we're seeing today that there are a lot of good teachers out there while they believe in a bodily return of Jesus Christ and while they believe in a literal thousand-year reign, when it comes to the timing of the rapture, you're going to see that uh, there is some varied discussion out there concerning that. And so you just can't easily say that everyone believes in the rapture. So what we're going to see is we've got six different views. The first four have to do with the timing of the rapture, when the rapture will take place. The other views have to do with who's going, and then the final view is whether or not there is a rapture at all. So let's just uh, real quickly look today. First, the first one is comes out of a dispensational viewpoint. Premillennial dispensationalism, I re mentioned to you last week, has to do with the view of the millennium, when Jesus Christ will come back, the literal thousand-year reign. And most who hold to a premillennial position tend to hold to a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, this tribulation, just for your notes, if you want to mark this down, is a seven-year period in which God's wrath is poured out on the world. Okay? In fact, that's what we're going to see, first of all, with our pre-tribulational view. The first point I want you to see is this, under the pre-tribulational rapture view, is that there will be a seven-year period when God's wrath is poured out on the world. There will be a seven-year period when God's wrath is poured out on the world. For our study in the book of Daniel, this is going to be known as, when we get to, to where uh, Daniel refers to this with Daniel's 70 weeks, this is the 70th week. 
This is a literal seven-year period. How do we know it's literal seven years? Well, if we're going to use the literal method of interpretation versus an allegorical method, we're going to see that Daniel, as well as John in the book of Revelation, makes note that this is a literal seven-year period of time. So there's going to be a seven-year period of time when God's wrath is poured out on the world in judgment of unbelief and their rejection of God. Next thing I want you to see as far as the pre-tribulational view is this. The church will be removed or raptured before the tribulation begins. The church will be removed or raptured before the tribulation begins. Now, Daniel even tells us when that tribulational period will begin. When is that, George? Well, if you look at Daniel, Daniel will tell you it is when that world leader, we know him as the Antichrist, will establish a covenant or a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. I think that's pretty significant because if you look at the news today, Everybody in the world is scrambling to try to be the one to bring peace to the Middle East and to try to bring some sort of peace between Israel and all of its neighbors, all of its Muslim neighbors. And so you see the Europeans do it, you see the Americans do it, the Russians are trying, even the Chinese are trying with all of their efforts to bring peace to the area. So, in, in a way, that should almost kind of give us an indication, a hint that we are moving towards, however long it takes, we are moving towards that time when some world leader will emerge and establish peace with Jerusalem, peace with Israel. And when that happens... Daniel tells us that that's the beginning of the 70th week, and we're going to see that later when we get into our study in the study of the book of Daniel. So the church right at that time will be removed or raptured before the tribulation takes place. The church will be removed or raptured before the tribulation takes place. Now, during the tribulation... Israel will once again be the focus of God's program. Now, again, remember I told you the key issue is when we're looking at eschatology, when we're looking at the study of the end times, when we're looking at prophecy, you have to make a decision. You've got to decide in your own heart, what about Israel? Is the scriptures talking about Israel or is it talking about the church? Is the church simply a spiritualized Israel, or is it two distinct, differently things? And for someone who holds to a pre-tribulational rapture view, the reality is, is that the church is separate from Israel, because once the church is raptured, the focus then turns to the nation Israel again. The focus then turns to the nation Israel again. And this is because this rapture will occur... When will this rapture happen? We don't know the exact timing of it, but we know that this is going to take place. This will occur when the fullness of the Gentiles has come. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come. We find that term in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Fullness of the Gentiles can also be translated when the full number of the Gentiles has come. So that pretty much means when... There is a completion to the number of Gentiles who are to be saved. When there is a completion to the number of Gentiles who is to be saved. In fact, if you remember what Jesus said, Jesus talked about that 
there, the gospel will need, must needs to go and be preached into all the world, all the nations, all the ethnicities before he comes. So there, there is a certain number of Gentiles to be reached. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That really lays a burden of expectation upon us as believers today that we really need to be sharing our faith. We need to be engaged in evangelism so that we can hasten or see the time of the coming as that full number is brought to a completion, that full number of Gentiles is brought to a completion. And so that's when we see the rapture of the church. The focus is is right before the tribulation happens, the church is raptured, the attention is turned to Israel during the tribulational period. Now that is the pre-tribulational view. There's a second view now. It again very much holds to a literal seven-year period. Most of these views hold to a seven-year period of the tribulation. The issue, though, is the timing of the rapture. When does the rapture of the church take place? And so there is a view called the mid-tribulational view. And with this view, it believes that the church will be removed in the middle of the tribulation. The church will be removed... In the middle of the tribulation. Now this has to do with the reality that there's a thought there that the church will have to experience some of the tribulation, but that the church will be exempt from experiencing the wrath of God during the tribulation. So the church will be removed in the middle of the tribulation. And so this view says that the church will endure the events of the first half of the tribulation. So in, in this view's mindset, when we look at the three types of judgments in the book of Revelation, you've got the you've got the seal judgments, you've got the trumpet judgments, and you've got the bowl judgments. This view holds that the church at least will be experiencing the seal judgments and maybe some of the bowl judgments, excuse me, the trumpet judgments, and maybe some of the trumpet judgments. And so this is the mid-tribulational view. Now, we're we're going to see that there's a variation of this later on with our fourth view, which is the pre-wrath rapture of the church view, and we're going to look at that in a little bit here. But before that, we're going to go discuss the third view now, which is the post-tribulational view, the post-tribulational view. And that's the view where the rapture takes place at the end of the tribulation. So here's what we're seeing. The, the, this view holds that the church will continue on earth until the second coming of Jesus Christ. The church will continue on earth until the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this view holds that believers will endure all of the tribulation. And what will happen is, is at the end of the tribulation, right before he comes, or even as he comes, the church will be raptured and meet him in the air, possibly even as he is coming back. Okay? So what we're seeing here is a viewpoint that looks at it as happening at the end of the tribulation. So what this view is saying is, is that the church will endure all of the judgments in the tribulation. All of the judgments in the great tribulation. So it's saying that the church is going to endure all of this in the Great Tribulation. Here's the other part about the post-tribulational view. This view does not necessarily see a distinction between the church and Israel. Again, remember I told you, you have to make that decision that's going to affect 
what you think about the rapture or what you think about the second coming or what you think about the millennium, this view does not necessarily see a distinction. So when in the book of Revelation or even in Daniel, when it's very clear that the text is talking about Israel, this viewpoint doesn't necessarily see a distinction there and sees that possibly that the text is also talking about the church. The church. So we have those three views. One is that the, before it happens, before the tribulation happens, and that happens to be, folks, the position that we hold here at our church is a pre-tribulational view. The mid-tribulational view, it happens in the middle of the tribulation. And then the post-tribulational view, which is that it will happen at the end of the tribulation. Now, there is one more view that is becoming very popular today, and that is the pre-wrath rapture view. Now, that view actually emerged about 20 years ago with a book by a man by the name of Marv Rosenthal. And Marv wrote a book called The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church. Now, this view is becoming more and more popular. And let me just give you some distinct things about this view as you try to wrestle with this. First of all, the pre-wrath view sees the rapture as the combination of the first three views. So basically the author and those who hold to this view are trying to reconcile in their mind the, the things that the scriptures are pointing to that are evident in all three views. And so this is kind of like a combination of those three views, those first three views. This view b- believes that all believers will be exempt from the wrath of God. All believers will be exempt from the wrath of God. Now you say, okay, well if we're exempt from the wrath of God, that means we're going to be out of here during the whole tribulation. Well, the pre-wrath rapture view holds that God's wrath is poured out at a certain point in the tribulation, at a certain point, and that we will be here up until that point before God's wrath is poured out. So that brings me to the next thing I want you to see here about this viewpoint. This view does not believe that all believers will be will will be exempt from the seven year period. This view does not believe that all believers will be exempt from the seven year period. So it's not believing that all believers are going to be exempt from that seven year period. So it means that believers are going to go through this seven year period, but they will not experience the wrath of God. See, how can they come here? Because they see a distinction. Now here's the next point. This view sees a distinction between the wrath of Satan, which is evident during the tribulational period, because Satan will make war against the children of God, the people of God, and the wrath of God, which is poured out. It sees a distinction between the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God. So believers will experience the wrath of Satan, but they won't necessarily experience the wrath of God. This view sees the day of the Lord coming at the end of the tribulation. The day of the Lord coming at the end of the tribulation. And then finally, believers will experience the great tribulation, but will be raptured out before God's wrath is poured out. They're going to see, they're going to experience the great tribulation and the trauma of that time, but they're going to be raptured out before, before God's wrath is poured out. So that's what you have there. You have 
three views, four views there concerning the timing. You have basically a pre-tribulational view, which is the church will be raptured before the tribulation happens. You have a mid-tribulational view that the church will experience part of it, but be raptured out before the wrath of God at the midpoint. Then you've got the viewpoint of the post, that the church is going to experience all of that and be raptured out at the end of the tribulation. But again, it doesn't see a distinction between Israel and the church. And then the fourth view, which is the pre-wrath view, is kind of a combination of all three. It kind of takes into note the, you know, all of the scriptures that point to the various views there and brings them all together in, in one view, which is that the church will experience part of the... Part of the great tribulation is Satan's wrath is poured out, but before God's wrath is poured out on the world, the church will be raptured, will be taken. So all those views have to do with basically the timing of the rapture. The next view has to do with who's involved in the rapture. And there is a view out there that is called the partial rapture view. The partial rapture view. Now, this view tends to be among those who are sometimes among what's known as the holiness movement or holiness churches where there's a great stress on how someone lives their life and whether or not they're living their life in such a way um, that is reflective of who they are. And so, for instance, holiness churches for the longest time were concerned about the holiness of a personal, of a person or of a believer. So, for instance, they would stress Certain restaurants could not be gone to. If it had a bar, you couldn't go to that restaurant. It also would be stressing about how one was dressing and how, how they appeared, whether they were worldly in their appearance versus, you know, whether they were modest in their appearance. It also had to do with whether or not somebody was partaking of sinful things like drinking or smoking and so forth. And so there's a great emphasis on how you're living your life. Now, this comes out in this viewpoint because this viewpoint of the partial rapture view has to do with the fact that there are some who are going to be taken and some who are not. So the first thing I want you to see here is this view is not concerned with the timing of the rapture. So those who hold a partial rapture view tend to be pre-tribulational. So let me just go ahead and say that. They tend to be pre-tribulational to believe the rapture is going to take place at the, before the beginning of the tribulation. But they're more concerned as well as who's going to be raptured. It's not so much about the timing. This view is concerned about who's going to be raptured. And so that brings me to the next point. This view concerns the issue of who will be raptured. All right, who's going to be raptured? That's the issue. Who's going to be raptured? Okay? And you say, well, all Christians are. Well, that's, that's kind of debatable with this viewpoint because here's what I want you to see. The next point is, is that only those who are watching and waiting will be raptured. Only those who are watching and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, who are living their lives in such a way that they are anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, will be raptured. Everyone else will be left behind. And so, for instance, they will take literally the scripture, the Gospels, where Jesus said there will be two in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left behind. And so the, the, the focus there is, is that they're saying that if you're not living right, and if you're not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not waiting for his return, and you're living worldly, 
even though you believe, you're not going to be taken in the rapture. You're going to be left behind to endure the tribulation and the judgments of the tribulation. And that, possibly in their thinking, is going to purify you before Jesus Christ comes back. Because you haven't been, you haven't been waiting, you haven't been watching for Christ to return. So that's the partial rapture view. So the partial rapture view is concerned about the whole issue, not of when the rapture will take place, although many of them believe in a pre-tribulational viewpoint here. They're concerned about whether or not you're ready, whether or not your life is, is showing that you're ready for Jesus Christ to come back, that you're in anticipation. Again, they would look at scriptures like the, the, the parable of the maids who had oil in their lamps and those who didn't. The ones who had oil in their lamps were ready for the bridegroom to come. Those who were not were left out. They were left out. So that's the partial rapture view. So the first four views have to do with the timing. The fifth view has to do with who's going to be involved in the rapture. Now there is a sixth viewpoint it really discusses, it's really a belief concerning whether or not there is a rapture, period. And that is the no rapture view. No rapture view. And this is primarily held by those maybe who are amillennial. Remember we talked about amillennialism, that there is no millennial, that the church is ushering in the kingdom, that the tribulation basically represents all the trials and persecutions and hardships that the church has endured throughout church history, or a post-millennial, basically, again, the church is ushering in the kingdom, the kingdom is lived through the church, those folks would not believe in a rapture. So this is the no-rapture view. So what do we see here? First of all, this view does not see the rapture as a distinct event from the second coming. Now, those who hold that there is a rapture, they see it as a separate event from Jesus Christ coming. They see it as Jesus Christ coming in the air to take the church. But for a no-rapture person, when they look at 1 Thessalonians 4, they're not seeing a distinct event. They're saying that 1 Thessalonians 4 is actually talking about the second coming. It's talking about the second coming from our, the Christian's, perspective. That in that instant, they're going to be with him as he comes in judgment. Now, here's the other thing. Passages, they feel that passages concerning the rapture are speaking of the second coming. So when they talk about, the, when they look at the passages concerning the rapture in the scriptures, they're saying that those passages are rather talking about the issue of the second coming. Those that are definitely speaking of a rapture. So there we go. So we have three views, four views concerning when the rapture might take place. A fifth view that concerns who's going to be a part of the rapture. And then we've got this sixth view, which basically is saying there's no rapture at all. It's just talking about the second coming. So that's what we have out there. So that, that you know, if you think about that and you think about all the different views concerning the millennium, whether a premillennial return of Christ to establish a literal thousand-year kingdom, a postmillennial viewpoint that the, the kingdom Jesus is going to establish his kingdom through the church, or an amillennial viewpoint, which there is no millennium and Jesus establishes his kingdom through the church as well, you know, the reality is, is that 
you're going to see that with believers, there are lots of believers who view different things concerning Jesus Christ, his return, his setting up a kingdom, and the rapture of the church. So I'm going to give you some things to think about as we consider interpretation of prophecy, as we kind of close up our section on an introduction to prophecy. I'm going to give you three things to think about, three things that you need to be aware of as you consider this whole issue of prophecy. The first one is this. Don't be dogmatic about your interpretations. Don't be dogmatic about your interpretation. Now, it may be that you have studied this out and you have become convinced that your viewpoint is the viewpoint that you see in Scripture. It's just very evident to you. That's okay. For instance, I have wrestled with the issue of the tribulation, especially, excuse me, the rapture. I've wrestled with the issue of the rapture over the last few years. And, and while I started out as a pre-tribulational rapture person, I kind of considered the other viewpoints and looked at it and, and, and studied the scriptures and prayed about it. And, and again, I always keep coming back to a pre-tribulational viewpoint. I can't get away what I feel the scripture is saying. But the problem is, is that there are other good men who believe in a literal return of Jesus Christ, who believe that he's going to come and establish a literal thousand-year reign, but they differ as to when the rapture will take place. So are they heretics? No. No, they're not heretics. The fact of the matter is, is I can't be dogmatic about what I believe. I think Scripture can tell us that because the reality is, is we see Scripture now, but do we have a complete understanding of, 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 of prophecy in the Scripture? No. I think what Paul says that we see dimly through a glass right now, and that when we go to be with him we'll have an understanding, a complete understanding, I think that's reflective of the fact that we don't necessarily understand all things. And since we don't necessarily understand all things, we it would behoove us not to be dogmatic about this area of Scripture. Especially when you consider Israel right before the first coming of Jesus Christ, and they're looking for the Messiah to come. They rightfully look for the Messiah, but they totally misunderstood the Scripture because the Scripture clearly teaches that he was going to be a, what, suffering Messiah. In fact, here in the book of Daniel, we're going to see when we look at the 70th week, 70 weeks, it also talks about the Messiah being cut off, that he will be cut off or that he will be killed. They didn't grasp that. It wasn't until after the resurrection, after Jesus died on the cross and his resurrection, that, that the church began to understand, that believers began to understand the meaning of those prophetic texts and what they meant with reference to his first coming. I'm saying the same thing. We don't truly understand all there is to know about the second coming, so don't be dogmatic about your position. Don't be dogmatic. And in fact, in your dogmatism, be careful how you evaluate what's happening in the news. Be careful about how you're evaluating what happens in the news. Because a lot of times, people in their dogmatism concerning what they believe about eschatology will make statements or predictions concerning the issue of the news and later be shown to be wrong. So, for instance, I remember in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, 
very much a lot of folks in the uh, prophetic circles were talking about Saddam Hussein, because Saddam Hussein was seeking to rebuild Babylon of old, and that he must have some part in the prophecies concerning the end time. Now, the problem is, is here we are in 2013, and we know a lot about Saddam Hussein. And the one thing we know about Saddam Hussein is, is he's dead. And that he lost all his power and he was executed. And he, so therefore, he really doesn't have a part in what is known as prophecy today or, or, or is a key figure in all of these things taking place. So you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful with your dogmatism, especially when you try to interpret what's happening in the world. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Recognize that the church has struggled to understand this book for centuries. Now look, when we go back through all of these different views, whether it's historical premillennialism, whether it's dispensational premillennialism, whether it's postmillennialism, amillennialism, preterism, whether it's a pre-wrath rapture of the church view, or a pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, post-tribulational, or no-tribulation view, what you're going to see is, is those are views that they may claim to have been around forever, but history tells us that there really is no viewpoint that can claim to have been around forever. No viewpoint at all. And what ends up happening is, is that a lot of times viewpoints arise as we try to understand what's happening in our world and as we look at the scripture and we try to explain it from our understanding today. And so these, all of these views have emerged, some as a reaction to other views, some as a reaction as to what's happening in the Christendom at that point. And the reality is, We've struggled with this book for centuries, so we've got to recognize that. So again, you've got to be careful. You've got to be flexible in your interpretation. You've got to be flexible because the church has really wrestled with this. And so this brings up my final point here when we talk about the issue of prophecy, and I think especially this comes out of the whole issue of dogmatism. You've got to be careful is recognize that false teaching and cults have arisen from dogmatic interpretations. False teachings and cults have arisen from dogmatic interpretation. Some of the cults, like there is a cult right now that I can think of in the 1800s, the guy who studied the scripture and predicted a date, he had everybody waiting on a hillside in New England, waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus didn't come back, so he made another prediction again. And, and the reality is, is he had to try to explain it, and so one of his followers explained it by saying that Jesus came, Christ came back spiritually not bodily. And out of that arose a false teaching within, an, within American Christian circles today. And what we're going to see is, is that, that when you get dogmatic about your teaching and you're not flexible, the chances are that sometimes false teachings and cults can arise from that interpretation. So what I've been seeking to do over these last few weeks, this is our fourth lesson in this series, is, is I'm trying to get you to understand, because you've got Christian friends who believe, who maybe go to another church where their pastor believes something different, or maybe they know what their church believes, and it's something different than what we believe or what you believe. And, and, it, and it's not something that you can split hairs over or get angry about. It's something that you need to be flexible with. 
and that you can't be too dogmatic about. And this is one area where there can be flexibility in interpretation. Now, there's no flexibility when we talk, talk about the deity of Jesus, when we talk about his virgin birth, or when we talk about the inspiration and inerrancy of the word of God. But when it comes to trying to figure out and understand the prophecies of Jesus Christ's return, the key thing is whether or not a person believes that Jesus Christ will literally bodily come back in the future. That's the key issue. That's the key doctrine. All other things as far as how that plays out in prophecy, we're going to have to be flexible because not everybody's going to agree. Now next week, here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to get into Lesson 5, and we're going to begin with an introduction to the book of Daniel. We're going to talk about the author, what was the occasion for writing the book of Daniel. We're going to talk about what the purpose of the book is. And then we're going to talk about our approach to the study, how we're going to approach the study of the book of Daniel. So that's all going to get us ready for two weeks from now or three weeks from now when we launch into the study in the first chapter and see what Daniel will tell us. Okay? All right, let's get ready.